clarity. So shall we just ask him to help us? Lord, we're known as a Christian nation. And we've heard a lot of these words before. So much so that we might have got inoculated. So we just humble ourselves now. And we want to become like little children. And and please, can you just take the simplicity of this and do the thing that only you can do? Speak to our hearts and add power and grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah. Um, we're we're trying over these uh, coming months to always include in each monthly program something that's really simple and basic about the Christian faith. And that's what I'm doing today. And so our subject is salvation. What is salvation? And we're going to start with just this really short clip, all being well, and... Just open your ears, get over Americanness, and see what God says to you. Let's go for it. Thank you. person 
Thank you. That's great. Isn't it great that there's stuff like that out on the internet where somebody could put into Google what salvation, how can I be saved and come up with something like that. Um, There's a PowerPoint on the desktop, Phil, if you don't mind clicking through for me on that, that would be great. So I just took some of the thoughts from his five-minute video and thought that we would explore them a bit together this morning, okay? So next slide, please. Um, Yeah. In our lifetime, really, over however many years we have, there is just one thing we really need to know. (laughs) That we are loved by God. So much so that he sent Jesus, his most precious possession in the whole universe, to do what's necessary to have a relationship with you and me. I love the way he said he, you know, God loves us with a crazy kind of love, unsurpassable, extravagant, and costly. Next slide, thanks. I love this phrase. It's such a short phrase, Jesus did everything. But it has such massive implications and impact. Not only for your own life, but for your whole household, your whole street, your whole city your whole nation, the whole world. There is nothing beyond the reach of what Jesus has done. There is nothing that exists that is outside of the scope of what he is able to touch, redeem, and do something about. He did everything that's necessary. There isn't anything going on in my body, in my mind, in my life, in my spirit, in my soul, that Jesus' death and resurrection, his precious blood, is unable to touch or change. Take that in. He's done everything, past tense, needful for our current state and these are a lot of words that you hear in church up here which is to do with salvation and so we're just going to touch on some of them to um, for some people this might be new some people it'd be a bit for a vision but if we just ask the holy spirit to help us to take it out of our mind and let it go into our hearts something fresh could happen for you today So it's like mankind got kidnapped when 
we made a choice to go our own way. You'll read about that in Genesis, where it talks about Adam and Eve and making a choice not to do exactly what God said, but that they thought it would be okay to do something that he said not to do and tried it out, which is going our own way. And I think probably if we think back over the years of life that we've had so far, there will be times where we know we've just chosen our own way, we've done what's right in our own eyes, and it may not have been a good choice. And at that point, we've transferred ourselves from the safety, protection, uh, and covering of the love of God. And we've put ourselves outside of that. He still loves us, but we've positioned ourselves in our my way zone where all sorts of things tend to go wrong. And if we look back in Genesis, from the moment that choice uh, was made to listen to another voice and make their own choices, it's like mankind got kidnapped, started to be under the influence of another father whose name is the father of lies. And we get kind of influenced and triggered by the lies that he sows into our lives, that we're not good enough, or something like that, okay? And so, the Father in heaven has looked at all these kidnapped kids all over the earth and decided, I myself am going to pay the ransom to get them back. And I'm sure you would pay everything you have, if you are a parent, to get back one of your precious children, if they got lost and stolen. And that's exactly what he did. He took his most precious possession, the highest ransom he could pay, to satisfy what was going to be needed to rescue mankind as a whole and each one of us as individuals. So us messed up kids, we get a chance to come home to the Father because Jesus has paid the ransom. And like in the Bible story of the prodigal son, sometimes we come back smelling a bit off. (laughs) With, With all sorts of baggage, with all sorts of problems, because we've spent a long way outside of his love and we've picked up all sorts of bad habits and wrong thinking and all of that. And we need to be cleansed and washed. And you know what? Jesus has done everything. Whatever guilty stain there is in your life, in your history, it is not beyond the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. He is amazing at cancelling guilt, lifting shame, and turning us back to be white as snow. That's what the word says, that he completely cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
So that's part of our theme as well this month about being righteous. It's not through us earning something. Jesus does it by cleansing us and making us like a fresh start. So in his sight, we're now righteous kids, not messed up kids. Isn't that incredible? He does it for us. He forgives every sin, cancels it out as if it's never happened. That's extraordinary. If you're a parent, you may have forgiven your child over and over and over about certain things. And many of those things you'll forget, like you can't remember anymore. Can't remember. One or two things we store away. But our Father God is not like that. He separates those things as far as the east is from the west, like as far as it's possible. Like it's gone, out of reach Never to be brought up again. Isn't that amazing? He will not bring it up. He's not going to bring it up when we see him face to face because he's satisfied with what Jesus has done. He has done everything necessary for us to be redeemed. That means brought back. The ransom Jesus paid with his blood buys us back, redeemed. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just about um, cleaning us up. He wasn't just about um, making a way for us to be healed. He wasn't just about opening a way for us to join him in heaven and have an eternal connection with God. He was about getting everything back as it's supposed to be on the earth. It's not just about a ticket to heaven. He made the earth. He made it good. He made it very, very good. He made it to be a place of encounter and journey, and training for us. A beautiful place. We know now it's not such a good place because we've opened the door to the kingdom of darkness to run rampant over the earth, haven't we? He's got a mission, though. And Jesus kicked it into action when he died on the cross went down, got the keys of death and Hades from the enemy, snatched them back, rose again victorious and returned on earth to start a whole program of restoration of all things. Restoration of all things on the face of the earth. So when we become one of his kids, we become part of that program of getting everything back. He doesn't want us just to be a little bit better and know one day that we're going to be in heaven. He wants us to um, experience the fullness of his redemptive plan here on earth, 
because he's paid for it and he doesn't want it to go to waste. And he wants us to be demonstrating that so that others can see that. That's why we're saying our lives tell his good news story. So um, why have I got in brackets Adam and Eve, Jesus and me? Well, just because that's just a little phrase that to me sums up a very big thing. A long time ago, I heard um, a very famous American evangelist, well, a couple, T.L. and Daisy Osborne. Whoever heard of T.L. and Daisy Osborne? They're from back in the day. And they used to do these big um, tent campaigns. And they used to also travel around India and led millions of Indians to the Lord. And their, their, their gospel preaching was simple and radical and full of healings. It was so simple that people, you know, who'd got a lot of churchiness and theological training probably thought it was a bit too simplistic. But they maintained, if you can't preach the gospel in a way that the uh, youngest child or the person with the most limited um, intellect or language can understand, then you've added something to the gospel and lost some of its power. And so they preached this, and this was the first time I heard it, and I thought, that's good stuff. They said, really, the gospel story begins with Adam and Eve representing you and me in the garden, having it all and losing it all. Opening the door to trouble. Thousands of years go by. God is preparing the rescue mission. Jesus arrives. He is the plan, the only plan. It all depended on him. Coming and being with us, experiencing everything that we experience, living 33 years without sin, so he could be the perfect lamb. I'm amazed anybody could do that. And then agree with his father to become sin. And endure probably what was the worst for him, which was separation from the perfect relationship with Father as he carried our sin and died on the cross. In order that someone like me one day could hear the good news that he loved me so much, he put that rescue plan in place because he knew I'd need it (laughs) that's the good news Adam and Eve Jesus and me and my response to Jesus is the key thing as to whether I lay hold of salvation or not so that when I hear this good news if I choose to believe and receive it I can, instead of being a child of the father of lies and messed up in his system, can have a complete rebirth, start all over, 
rewind. <laughs> Let's start all over again. Fresh start. Because it says in the first chapter of John, to all who believed him, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. I love that phrase. And I've chosen to exercise that right. Next one. I'm going to have a bit of interaction from you in a minute. But thank you for just listening so carefully at the moment. So salvation is a completely undeserved gift. Any thinking that we have that we need to clean up our act a bit first before we could present ourselves to God or come to church or something is a complete lie. It's absolute rubbish because we can't earn salvation. They tried doing that all through hundreds of years of the Old Testament days by keeping rules, trying to keep clean, and did one of them succeed? Not one other than Jesus, who completely fulfilled it. So we can't earn it. We just need to accept salvation from God. And there's two parts to that accepting, believing and receiving. So believing goes on in our heads, doesn't it? What we think and so on. But receiving is a bigger thing than that. And we'll come to that in a moment. Though it's an undeserved free gift, and we're a bit suspicious of free gifts, aren't we? Always think there must be a catch to that. Although it's free, it's really important, isn't it, that we don't think it's cheap. Because, you know, if we're given a free gift on the high street or something, we don't value it very much, do we? It can be in the bin, the very next bin that we come to. But the free gift that God gives us in salvation, it's free but by no means cheap. In the video, uh, the guy was saying, I really want you to understand the cost that it cost Father, the cost that it cost Jesus, the cost of your salvation could not have been higher. It could not have been higher. And I need to um, be reminded of that from time to time because I can become over-familiar with that. There's a lovely song around about at the moment that I'd love us to learn at some point that says, may we never lose the wonder. That's my prayer today. May we never lose the wonder, Lord. Um, Next slide. So, Jesus' death on the cross and the point when I hear about it and believe it and receive it means that I position myself now not just for getting by in life and waiting till I go to heaven for everything to be right. I position myself for what Jesus spoke of in the Gospels 
as life to the full. I am come that they should have life and have that in all its fullness. He's, it, the, the Bible also says, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Fullness and life and freedom are almost one and the same thing. You, you won't experience fullness of life without being completely free. And when we experience the freedom, then life seems really satisfying and full. So are there aspects of our lives where we are not enjoying and exercising the freedom that Jesus intends for us? He does not intend for us to be closed in, contained or limited. In heaven, there's no limitations. There's no small measures. (laughs) It's boundless. And this is where some of our poverty-mindedness can creep in if we're not careful. Okay, but Jesus intends that we should live life to the full and that we should be free men, women and kids. Um, On the video, the guy was saying, you know, if 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 you're saying, okay, well, I've heard this gospel message, but I'm not sure that um, it's really had an effect on my life. Do you remember that bit? He said, well, I would suggest then that. Can you remember what he said? Did anybody pick up on that? I bet Mike Thomas did. Yeah? Perhaps you haven't made him Lord. You might know about him. You might have said um, a prayer, you know, of some sort. But there's a difference between knowing about him and giving him that very first place in your life. Him becoming your Lord. And the lordship issue is, I think, really relevant today as to why it's possible to be in church and go through the motions um, but be frustrated because you're not experiencing the fullness of all the benefits of salvation. Because it seems to me that we need to move from having a passing acquaintance uh, as challenges have come in my life and I've made choices to put God first or to sacrifice or to do something that he's asking me to do then I seem to have then broken into another measure of the experience of the benefits of salvation yeah I think I've said those things there So that might be something to be thinking about because lordship isn't preached very much these days. I think we need to get Mike back to do that at some point. Um, Because Phil Phil Game was telling me uh, in the days when he was a uh, a teenager and hearing the gospel, they would always really make clear the cost of discipleship, wouldn't they, uh, Phil? in that process of becoming a Christian, do you want to become a Christian? They would put it up front. There's going to be a cost. 
as Jesus put it up front, let's be honest, in the three years of his ministry when people were attracted to him and they liked what they saw and they thought, he is the one, he would then go and annoyingly spoil it all for them by saying, you're going to have to leave everything. (laughs) He'd say offensive things like let the dead bury their own dead, wouldn't he? He did put it up front that it's going to be hard to keep hold of his coattails because there's things that we put a high value on that aren't necessarily bad or evil, but he has to come first. And for those disciples to keep track of him those three years and be right there on the spot when the miracles were happening and right there actually delivering miracles, they had to pay the price of uh, letting their fishing business go or whatever it was. It was very, very real. Um, Next slide. Salvation is found in no one else. There's a lot of messages out there, you know, that, you know, there's many ways to God and all of that. That's the biggest lie out there. When Jesus came as the rescue mission to earth, he did make that very clear. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the gate. So many of those things he made really, really clear. He even said to the religious people of the day who knew the word of God very well and lived very um, clean lives and all of that, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you'll find life, but you refuse to come to me. He made it really clear that coming to him, Jesus is the one and only way that you can be saved. And that's a tough message these days because in our culture, we don't like dogma like that. So that is countercultural because we want to go, oh, well, anything goes, you know. But on this particular point, this is an absolute truth that Jesus is the way. And at the end of days, when all mankind is before the throne of God, we will see and observe that it's about how any person has ever responded to the person of Jesus I'll come to that again in a moment. Um, In one of the early Psalms, it says about the leaders of the earth, kiss the sun. It's about whether we recognize that that's who he is, the son of God, and we kiss him, honor him, recognize him, kiss him. It's so short, kiss the sun. (laughs) That's how salvation comes, through kissing the sun. Next one. 
And then there's this amazing promise in scripture that if we do that and we become a child of God, scripture says then we become in Christ. And if we're in him and he in me, we are this complete new creation and the old has gone and the new has come. So salvation isn't about signing up to a list of theological points that you can give mental assent to. Tick, 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 I believe this, I believe that. You know, some churches do have a, uh, a list, don't they, that you have to tick boxes to be part of that. What matters is, are you or am I in Christ? Because I've recognized who he is. And I've kissed him. (laughs) And he's done everything that is needed for me. Next one. Are we nearly there yet? Yeah. In, In the video, in scripture, in churchianity, you will hear this vocabulary about confessing and believing. So let's just have a think about what that is. In um, some types of churches, there's a, a stronger emphasis on confession, isn't there? Meaning, going and telling somebody what you realize you've done wrong. Okay? But confession can also mean another thing. It means the words of your mouth. Your confession is what you say. Okay, and so this is where we get past this thing. You know, I don't know if you've ever met people who go, well, you know, I, I do believe, but I believe in a different way than you. Um, I, I believe inside, but I don't feel I've got to go around, you know, saying anything about it. Have you ever met people like that? I have, yeah. Well, it's just not scriptural. Because... The word says if you confess with your mouth, speak out with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. And it is a very powerful combination, these two things. Phil, um, when I first knew him as a young teenager, started to come along to the youth group in our village. There wasn't a lot on in our village, so the youth group was really popular. I, I don't know, it was only a little village and there was probably 50 kids in this church youth group. And amongst the teenagers there, there was one young woman that really stood out because she got it. She had the fire of God. She knew she was a Christian and there was something about her that was different than a lot of us. Okay, And her name was Kareen. One day... Phil had been around church, he'd been around us singing choruses, he'd been around messages and things like that. One day, Kareen said to Phil, are you a Christian? And put him on the spot. And Phil has told this story himself a number of times. Internally, he decided he did believe that Jesus was the son of God, and he did want to be a Christian. But it was the moment when she put him on the spot, and he'd never said this out loud up to this point, he went, yes, 
that was it. That was the moment he got saved. Just saying yes. Just admitting it. Coming out as a Christian. It was done. Done deal. What you say with your mouth is important. So there, there may be people who have been around our church family a long time. And we all make assumptions about each other that, you know, everyone's already a Christian. Maybe you've never actually done that moment. Well, God will find you out. (laughs) And in the nicest possible way, give you a moment where you can just do that. And it, it is done. It's settled. Heaven hears, that's it. That's it. So, yeah, there is a a place for confession. I'm not saying going and finding somebody and telling them all the wrong things you've ever done in your life. Though it is good sometimes to get that stuff out in the light, sorted out, um, put right, and cleared up together with somebody's help. But actually, in becoming a Christian, the main thing is... Do you recognize who Jesus is and will you acknowledge it with your mouth? Okay, next one. So let's look at some examples of how we've got saved. Okay, because it can happen in all sorts of different ways, can't it? And and I think one of the mistakes that we've made in Christendom is that we've said you've got to say these words in this order. Say the sinner's prayer. And that's it, okay? But actually, if we um, really look at what God does, he, he, he's enormously creative <laughs> about how he gets us saved. So, hands up, please. Anybody who um, could say, uh, all of you, I'm asking, anyone who would say, well, I was brought up in a Christian environment, so I, I don't remember a specific moment but I know I'm saved could you put your hand up as let's see there'll be quite a few of you that's really good really good um Jen would you mind coming up and just representing this group of people that's really good because there's quite a few of you thank you Jen so um what about Anybody who knows they got saved a bit later in life, after childhood and teenagerhood, as an adult, anybody? Yeah, quite a few of you. Um, Let me see. Who could I ask? Keep your hands up. Deborah, would you mind coming? Thank you. I'm just picking some people that we don't hear quite so much from. Lovely. And I'll be the one who became a Christian as a child, all right? So we're going to ask these questions. So, Jen, if you were asked the question, just give your honest answer. How did you get saved and how do you know you're saved now? What would you say? I just said it to Sam, actually. I... I don't remember a specific time, but I know, I remember as a child, sort of each time there was sort of an altar call or whatever, yeah. I'd go up just in case. Yeah. So I went up, a, I've, been, I've been saved quite a few times, yeah. I think. 
Yeah. Just going, yeah, I want to be in. Just in case. Yeah. <laughs> just to make sure. So, and is that how you know you're saved now? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I know that God's moved through me and yeah. I hear from him and That's great. good stuff happens. So it's the ongoing stuff now yeah. that's happening. Yeah. Brilliant, thank you. So she knows it because she's done some kind of public step and she also knows it now because of an ongoing track record of God doing different things in your life. Okay, so Deborah, how did you get saved and how do you know you are now? Um, <clears throat> oh boy, where do I start? Being a very um, rebellious and disobedient child, I had to learn the very hard way. And it wasn't until I was 26 and my life was in the pit of despair. I knew I needed help. And uh, I was actually went to Whatcom House in Dorset. And uh, Reggie said to me, do you want to be forgiven? Mm. And I knew that I did. And he prayed over me, and there was such a battle going on in my mind because uh, the enemy was throwing stuff. He was, well, the Holy Spirit was showing me video clips of my past life, and I thought, how could God love that person? And I didn't want to be that person anymore. And I also didn't want to become a religious freak. But anyway, (laughs) um, in that moment, I knew that the decision I made, it had to be 100%, otherwise it, it wasn't for real. And I chose to believe that Jesus died for me personally. And I was filled with the most incredible love from God, which made me weep and weep and weep. Um, Unconditional love, washed through with light. And I knew that I'd been born again. And the Bible suddenly made sense when I read it after that. So I knew that I knew. um, Yes. So it was powerful. And... I've never doubted since that day. Thank you, ladies. Wasn't that brilliant? Thank you. You can sit down. Amazing. But your story's different because you are different. It isn't better. It isn't lesser. Every single story counts and is so important. And I just encourage you to be able to say it as short as they did. How you got saved and how you know you are now. Because you never know who might ask you. Might not put it quite like that, but you'll realise this is my opportunity on a plate. And don't make it complicated. Okay, to just tell the truth of you. So I got saved um, as a little girl. I wasn't brought up in a Christian household, but opposite uh, in my street, there was a family who all loved God and went to church. And I didn't realize at the time, but I really liked the feeling in their home. I always wanted to go over and play at Ruth's place because there was something nice in the home and in the family way of going on. And they used to say grace at tea time. I thought that that was what did it. Um, And one day I went to ask if my friend Ruth could play. And the mum who answered the door said, oh, terribly sorry, she can't come out today because we're going to church. But would you like to come too? Here's a good tip, mums and dads. And I thought, yeah. So I went and asked my mum, got permission, went. 
And that was the beginning of me going to the little village parish church to Pathfinders, if anybody ever heard of Pathfinders, which is like Sunday school. And we got to Easter and I was sitting in the pew, we had pews, and the vicar explained very simply the story of Easter, why Jesus came to earth and why he died. And I suddenly understood for the first time that it was not a case that Jesus, who was a major goodie, had been got by the baddies. I thought that the story of the death on the cross was the the baddies spoiling everything. I didn't understand until the vicar explained that it was an on-purpose plan that he and Father God had, and that it didn't end with the death, but the resurrection of Christ was the turning point for the whole of the history of mankind, and that now I could personally know this God, who I sort of believed was out there, but didn't have any connection to. Okay, And he said at the end of his talk, is there anybody here who might like to uh, become a Christian or start a relationship with Jesus? I can't remember exactly the word, but there was an invitation to do something about it. And he said, say this prayer quietly in your heart where you are, which I did. Um, And then at the end of the service, they had... in those days, um, like a little model um, garden, a miniature garden of the Garden of Gethsemane with the tomb, with the stone rolled away and little bits of bandages coming out from inside. And I went and looked at it as a little child with wonder. But something happened in there. Um, It was just the tiniest little bubbly feeling. And I think my spirit came alive because I looked in there and I thought, he's not dead, he's alive. I remember what I thought and I remember that tiniest little leap. Tiniest little leap inside. I I think that's when I was born again. Later, I had a chance to confess with my mouth and say, I believe. Okay? Because it can happen in any order. It might not happen all in one perfect lump because we hear things in different order, don't we? And you'll see that in the Gospels and in Acts. Sometimes they'd heard the good news of Jesus, but they hadn't received the Spirit yet and things like that. Or they'd been baptized, but they didn't really know (laughs) what it was they got baptized into. And things had to be explained. And that's what it's like today. So can we move on? I think we're nearly at the end. So with all of that in mind, what is the place of something like the sinner's prayer? Because I don't see it in the Gospels. If we think of three different examples, like the thief on the cross and Zacchaeus the uh, fiddly taxpayer, no, tax collector, and Peter the fisherman, okay, so there's the thief hanging on the cross, and as far as we know, that was just punishment for some crimes he'd committed. And he looks over to Jesus and sees something. 
it's not even really put in print, is it? But all we know is that he says, you know, when you're in paradise, no, remember me when you're in your kingdom. It's like, think of me. That's not much of a sinner's prayer, is it? And yeah, he recognized he was a king of a kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because he sees the heart intent. It was a tiny confession, teeny weeny confession out of the mouth. But the heart intent was there. Boom, it was done. But it's not the same with everyone. Zacchaeus, he's, you know, ripping people off. He's not Mr. Popular. He's probably got all sorts of issues. He's up this tree, but he's heard a lot about Jesus and perhaps is just curious. But then Jesus picks him out of all the other worthy people. He doesn't go for the worthy one. He goes for Zacchaeus and says, I'm coming to your house for a meal. And they have interaction. And how do we know Zacchaeus has entered a new life anyone what does he say he'll do yeah he says he's going to repay all the debts something we don't know that jesus told him that he was wrong or that he did but there was a conscious conscience moment and in the presence of the righteous king he suddenly knew this has got to be put right and he did it He was not a hearer only, he was a doer. He did something about it. So that was repentance, putting right things that are wrong. We don't preach that very much, do we? Going and putting right if if you know you've ripped somebody off. But it's in the book. Um, Peter, how do we know Peter was saved and still saved after he betrayed Jesus three times publicly. Because Jesus came and found him. And when Jesus gave him his grace and mercy moment... Peter went towards him and didn't run away and hide. He got face to face, faced up to the fact with the one he'd betrayed. And then Jesus gave him an opportunity to confess three times. You know I love you, Lord. Really, I do. I blew it. You know, that's not in there, but I'm sure that was in his in his heart and Jesus gave him the three times to say it and I'm sure that the three times were not lost on Peter isn't that amazing everyone was different but Jesus knew whether or not there was a true response in their heart and so that's important I'm not standing here saying, okay, ministry team, we're not doing the sinner's prayer. No, I'm not. Not saying that. 
I'm just saying it's bigger than that. It's wider than that. And it's what's in the heart that matters. And for some people, it will really help to say that prayer and to know that's done. All right? So, you know, please don't misunderstand me. Um, So what's the place of baptism then? Because Jesus was baptized and he told his disciples to go and baptize people. What's that got to do with salvation? Lovely answer. It is the public thing, isn't it? It is a form of confession. It's an outward sign of something that's going on inside. And it's not to be scrapped because Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because it settles things. It's a done deal thing. It's a a visual aid for others to know this person's crossed over. They've begun something. So what's the place of baptism in the Holy Spirit then to do with salvation? Do you have to be? What's happening with the Holy Spirit when you get saved? Let's have a few ideas. I'd like to collect a few thoughts. Who said that? It's to do with sonship. I love it. Because when Jesus was baptized in the water, and then he came up out of the water, then it says that the Spirit descended on him like a dove and he heard the affirmation of the father there's a connection between the receiving of the spirit and the affirmation of the the father going this is my son and it's a seal a guarantee the scripture says of our salvation and by his spirit we cry abba father and we know i'm the child and he's my dad so the spirit makes this father son connection in us and it's an important part that's why jesus said it's good that i'm going back to the father because when i go we'll then send you what you're going to need to be my kids here on earth. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. For goodness sake, don't resist the Holy Spirit as some weird add-on that you can do Christian life without. You know, I, I, I like all of this, but I just don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. I think that's an unwise decision because you cannot heal the sick or raise the dead or lead anyone to salvation without the Holy Spirit. We need him. He knows we need his power and his wisdom in us. Okay? So it's all involved. Can you hear what's happening here? But it didn't necessarily all happen at the same time for all of us. So when I looked in the little garden tomb and a little something went quickened inside of me, My spirit came alive and I received the spirit as a deposit of my salvation. But I've had subsequent like immersion experiences of the Holy Spirit, which have done other things for me. 
Okay. So what's the place of communion? One more minute and then we'll finish. What's the point of that, Deborah? Jesus set up the idea of communion to help us remember, to help us recognize the body, brothers and sisters, that it's not just a one-to-one relationship, we're part of the family. So yes, we obey him when we take communion, and it helps us to come back to the simple gospel, that it's all about him, what he's done for us, his body was broken. His blood was shed, simplicity, purity and power of it. So we should not neglect communion. You can take it other places than in church. He did it in a meal, in a home. There's a thought. Um, We could go on to more, but it's half past. So let's do the last slide and we'll finish. So take a moment now to reflect. If it's all about how I respond to Jesus, where am I with him this morning? Can you say with assurance, yeah, I'm saved? Do you occasionally need to clean up? Yeah. Not your whole body, just your feet, like Jesus said. You're my son, sometimes you stray into messy stuff. Come back, let me wash your feet. Maybe that a bit of that needs to happen this morning. Are you living in freedom? If not, why not? It won't be because he's not able to give you it. It will be because of something I think or you think. Am I displaying his goodness in my, li- my life? Or what choices and decisions? Maybe some people need to get baptized. Maybe some people need to confess. What do I need to do to move forward? Thank you for listening. Jesus, we fix our eyes on you right now. You're the one. You are the Messiah. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for finding us. Amen. Well, that was brilliant. Yeah, give her a round of applause. It was better than silence. (laughs) So, if you've never met Jesus, and this is the first time you've heard something like that, and you want to meet him, and you want to know him. There are going to be people at the front here with badges on ministry team. Come and find one of them, and just start talking to them, and they will know what to do. If you feel like, man, I've been so bad, I need to be saved again. (laughs) Come up, find a ministry team person, man, and it can be sorted out here today.